Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. reflection of uh, rest, um, of renewal will benefit not only myself, but it'll benefit all of us as a faith community. And that's part of the purpose behind it. So uh, thanks for that gift. And, and by all means, if you have questions, let me know. Um, uh, I've never done this before. I'm a bit of a rookie. So we'll see how it goes. Uh, hey, for those of you just joining us, we are in a series called RE. And this series is all about restoration. And as we've been saying through this entire series, is that God has a plan for your life, and that plan includes restoration. As a matter of fact, that plan is all about restoration. God wants to do a restoration work in our lives. It begins in the human heart. That's where it springs. It wells up. It spills over into our, into our behaviors, into our practical lives, and then it floods out into our relationships and into the social sphere, this restoration work that God wants to do. And uh, as, we, as we've been uh, going through the series, we've been examining a number of re-words uh, to go with this restoration project. Uh, as it turns out, there are a lot of re-words in Scripture that kind of outline or spell out what God's restoration work is all about. So, you know, we talked about reminding ourselves about the gospel. We talked about uh, repentance. We talked about uh, resisting evil. We talked last week about rethinking our identities. And hey, listen, if you haven't been with us in the series, you're just joining us, or you, you know, you've missed some of them, uh, just a reminder, you can go online, you can watch it on our YouTube channel, or you could listen to podcasts or listen to the past messages on our, uh, on our website. Well, today, our topic is to remain in Christ, and I'm just going to dive right into the text this morning. Uh, I'm not going to open up with, uh, with, with a question or an illustration. I want us to just dive right into the text. So if you've got a Bible with you this morning, uh, or a digital version of a Bible, or bulletin notes, you can pull those, as, as, those out as well. We're going to be looking at John chapter 15, and starting at verse 1, this scripture passage talks about remaining in Christ. Now, uh, before I read the text, give you a little bit of a background, what's going on here. Um, Jesus is with his disciples. They are gathered around the table in the, in the upper room. They're celebrating what is traditionally called the, the Last Supper. Jesus has finished washing his disciples' feet. Uh, dinner is on the table, and they're beginning to eat. And as the meal is, is being eaten, Jesus begins what is known as the upper room discourse. Okay, so this is a, a famous final teachings of Jesus before he goes to the cross. Okay, so the famous last words of Jesus. Um, in this discourse, Jesus is kind of preparing his disciples for what comes next. Uh, he's telling them that he's going away. He's preparing them, uh, telling them uh, what, what God is, what is about to do and what is God is going to continue to do. So this is, this is part of a larger teaching that Jesus is doing. And we're just going to look at a few verses here. So let me read, and uh, you can follow along. These are the words of Jesus. He says, I am the true vine, and the Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. Now you are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. Now remain in me, as I also remain in you. 
No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. And apart from me, apart from me, you can do nothing. And if you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that's, that's thrown away and withers. And such branches are, are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. And this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Well, this is the word of God. Can we pray together? Let's pray. Father, uh, we pray that you, by your Holy Spirit, would take this word and you would birth something in our hearts. You would ignite something in our hearts. You would help us to see you for who you are. You would help us to see ourselves for who we are. And God, I pray that uh, this word would teach us, that it would inspire us, that it would rebuke us. Whatever it is we need today from you today, uh, we are open to that. So God, do your work in us, do your work in me as we look at your word together. And we pray these things now in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. Okay, so uh, hasn't this been a good week, like in Edmonton? Anybody missing minus 20, minus 30? No, no, not me. Um, Snow's melting, birds are returning, uh, sun is shining. Uh, I absolutely love this time of year. I love springtime. Uh, I mean, I, I don't miss slushy shoes and all of that, but I, I mean, in terms of generally, the things are just, they're like, they're coming alive, and I love this time of year. Um, one of the things I am most excited about this year, and, and a little bit when I think about mm, sabbatical, okay, uh, one of the things I'm thinking about and what I'm excited about is getting into my new garden. So uh, some of you may not know this, uh, Crosspoint moved into this campus in May last year. My family decided, well, now that we have a permanent location for Crosspoint, we're going to move from our home on the west side. We moved into the north side. We bought a new house. We got in there in August. And basically, you know, when you get into a place in August, it's no time to start a garden. The garden's been started for you, okay? So we inherited a whole bunch of garden. Uh, but one of the many things I love about my new home are the, uh, the fruit-bearing plants. It's full of them. So I inherited like five fruit trees, right? So three cherries, sour cherry, two apple trees, a whole bunch of bushes like raspberry bushes and blackcurrant bushes and, and strawberry plants. And it's just, it's just brimming over with fruit-bearing plants. Now, last year, uh, at the end of the year, I wasn't really ready for it, okay? So I didn't know what was going to happen when these trees just kind of exploded with fruit. So I had more fruit than I knew what to do with, uh, but I was pretty stoked about seeing everything that I got. I mean, I, it, was, it was great. You know, I made salsa, cobbler, pies. There's right there. See that there? That is sour cherry salsa, okay? And I know you're like, what? Sour cherry and salsa? It is so good. Like, seriously good. Like, I, th I looked at the recipe, and I thought, this could never happen, right? How does sour cherry... Trust me. Trust me. Okay? If you want some, 20 bucks for an ounce, and I will get it for you. <laughs> and it is yours. But anyone who's a foodie in the group, in the room here, you'll be like, oh, yeah, that was worth it. Okay? It's so good. So I, I just was so stoked about, about these fruit trees. Um, now, of course, I, I had more than I needed, and so I was giving a whole bunch of it away by the end of it, and actually, truth be told, I threw out two garbage bags full of sour cherries. Um, 
You want it? You got it. Okay, yeah. Um, the thing about sour cherry, you got to pit every cherry. So that's a lot, it's a lot of work, okay? Uh, it's the pits. So, hey, listen, uh, if you're a gardener, if you're a gardener like I am, and, I, and I'm, a, I'm an amateur gardener, but I, I, I try to be. I'm a wannabe gardener. But if you're a gardener, you get excited about fruit. You are excited to see an abundant harvest in your backyard. You love to see your plants produce. And I think the big idea this morning of what the text is teaching us is just simply this. Jesus loves to see fruit in our lives. He is absolutely excited about seeing your life flourish. I mean, let's just look at verse 11. Here's what Jesus says. He says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. When our lives are filled with fruit, the fruit that God wants for us, it leads to our joy, but it also leads to Christ's joy. He delights in seeing fruit in your life. So the question then is, well, what is this fruit that he's referring to? Well, it could mean a number of things. You, you, you track through the New Testament, you see a number of different uh, possibilities. It could be the, the fruit of our good works. It could be the fruit of our lips that produce praise. Um, it could be the fruit of people coming to Christ and receiving Christ for the first time. But, but I think it largely symbolizes a life that is restored by Christ. There's a very well-known passage in the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 22 to 23, that kind of helps us see this. It points us in this direction. Let's just look at it together. Galatians 5. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against such things, there is no law. When God's Spirit is at work in our lives, the result is fruit. His, his spirit does this work in us. It changes us from the inside out. And the end result is that we become more and more like Jesus, more loving, which means we're more joyful and peaceful and patient and so forth. The fruitful life is the restored life. So Jesus is absolutely stoked, absolutely excited. He fully delights in seeing his restoration work take place in your life. It is his joy. It is his delight. And as we've been saying all along in this series, the kindest thing you can do for yourself is to participate with God in his restoration work in your life. Participate with him in what he wants to do. And so, so today, what I want us to do is I just want us to dig a little bit deeper into the words of Jesus, and I'm hoping we'll discover three principles of what it means to have a fruitful life. All right, here's the first principle. You cannot produce fruit on your own. Let's look at what Jesus said in verse 4. He says, no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. And then in verse 5, he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We cannot produce fruit by ourselves in our own lives. Restoration cannot happen solely through human effort. And the reason is, well, you're just a branch. Listen, if I, if I were to take a branch uh, off of my tree, snap it off, and throw it on the ground, one of my fruit trees, my cherry trees, for example, it would dry up, it would eventually die. And the reason is because at the end of the day, it is just a branch. And according to Jesus... Branches are good for bearing, 
or for burning, but branches are not good for building the restored life. You are not the vine. You are just a branch. And, and the life is in the vine, not in the branches. So the branches, according to this story, are just conduits. We're the connectors between the fruit and the vine. And restoration ultimately begins when we accept, accept the difference between the branch and the vine. And sometimes we get confused about this. I don't know about you, but, but sometimes I try to be the vine. I mean, I, I try to grow myself in my own strength, in my own human effort. You know, and it may work for a little while. Like there's a, and the reason why it probably works for a little while is there's always a little bit of sap left in every little branch. But before we know it, we get dry, we get brittle, we start to wither, and we find ourselves spiritually and emotionally spent. And for many of us, sometimes our, our spiritual journey feels just kind of lifeless and empty. And I think some of you know this from past experience. I think there's probably a pretty good chance this morning the number of you are there right now. And the starting point to change, the starting point to move past this is to accept that you are only a branch. One of my favorite movies of all time is Rudy. Best movie ever. I think the world is divided into two types of people, those who have seen Rudy and those who need to see Rudy, okay? I remember when I first saw Rudy, Karen and I were just married. It was like our first year of marriage, and we went to the, this little theater in Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, and we came out, and we're going to the car. I mean, I'm watching Rudy, and as I'm watching in the theater, I'm just like, crying, like three or four different places, I'm crying, okay? I'm just bawling through this movie. Big guffaws, like not little cries, not little sobs, like big snotty cry, okay, as I'm watching this movie. And then we get out to the car, and I'm, I'm you know, unlocking the passenger side door for her with my key, and I'm about to open it up, and she goes, so did you like the movie? And I'm yes, I love the movie, <laughs> I just started crying again there in the street. You got to see Rudy. What I love about Rudy uh, is it's based a story on this young man. He's dreamed of going to Notre Dame University since he was a young boy and playing football for the Fighting Irish, okay? And I, I chose this illustration today because it is St. Paddy's Day, and I think it's a great day to talk about the Fighting Irish, okay? And so it's an appropriate day for that. But the problem with Rudy was he weighed like just over 150 pounds, and he was well under 60 feet, six, uh, six feet. So he was like five foot nothing, right? So he didn't have any physical prowess about him. He wasn't very athletic. And the challenge was he was also dyslexic. So because he was dyslexic, he couldn't really study well. He couldn't get the marks that were needed in order for him to go to Notre Dame University. But Rudy wanted to play football so badly. It was his life's dream. It's what he always longed to do. So while Rudy didn't have anything else, he certainly had endurance. So he, what he decided to do is he enrolled into a community college nearby, Notre Dame, so that he could get into school and start to improve his grades. And he did that. He worked really, really, really hard at improving his grades. And every semester, after, his, after, after a semester at this college, he would try and enroll into Notre Dame University. And every semester, he would get shut down. Semester after semester and semester. Finally, he got to his final semester at this community college. And he'd done everything he could. And so he, he submitted his application. And then he went to the, the chapel and he just started to pray. And as he was there, he bumped into his favorite priest. This was the priest who actually had helped him get into this community college. Just to give him a, a bit of a fighting chance that maybe one day he might get into the university. 
And he sat down and he talked to the priest and he said, Father, I have done absolutely everything. Is there anything else I can do? Is there anything you can do to help me get into Notre, Notre Dame University? And I love the priest's response. He said, son, in 35 years of religious study, I have come up with two hard, incontrovertible facts. There is a God, and I am not him. There is a God, and I am not him. There is a God, and you are not him. This is something that only God can do. He is the vine, and you are the branch. You cannot produce fruit on your own. And so why do we continue to try? Well, as it turns out, Rudy sought God in prayer, and he did get accepted into Notre Dame University, but of course, he hadn't made the football team yet, and he still needed to make the football team. So you're probably wondering this morning, what happens next? I'm not going to tell you. You have to rent it and watch it for yourself. See? You need to watch it. Um, it's not on Netflix. I looked it up for you. But it is available on Amazon Prime. And you can purchase it on Google Play. And I'm not receiving any proceeds or commissions for this. Go watch it. Bring Kleenex. Here's the second principle. Here's the second principle. The only way to produce fruit is to remain. The only way to produce fruit is to remain. Let's look again at verse 4. Jesus says this, Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. The only way to bear fruit is to remain in Jesus because Jesus is the vine. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean to remain? Well, some of, the, some of your translations, you might have different words being used there. I, I think a more common word that is often used is the word abide. Uh, the word in the original language, it means to stay put. It means to remain, to abide, to dwell. Essentially, what it means is to draw from the life of Jesus. It means receiving Jesus as your ultimate source of satisfaction and joy and delight. It means resting in him, trusting in him as your everything and in nothing else. See, here's the thing. Is there, there's no other way to produce real fruit. Jesus doesn't say, I am a vine. Jesus says, I am the vine. And sometimes we look for alternatives. We look for other things in our lives to kind of juice up our branches, right? So we'll, we'll look for surrogate sources of life, the approval of others, power or success. Maybe build up our platforms on social media, get more likes or whatnot. Or we'll look to wealth or experiences, relationships. But the problem is that these are only surrogate sources of life. And they cannot produce the life that is needed for restoration, and oftentimes, they, they appear to give us life, but at the end of the day, what we realize is they're actually sucking the life out of us. And that's the thing about idols that are in our lives, is they appear to give us life, but at the end of the day, they take away more than they actually give. And Jesus is the true vine. He's not just a vine. He's the true vine. So how does that work? How does, how does, how does remaining in the vine work exactly? Because here's the thing, is Jesus is, is actually using a metaphor. And, and metaphors is not very grounded. They're not very tactile and practical. Okay, so, so Jesus is using a metaphor. But what his metaphor is describing for us as believers in Christ is the new life in the spirit. You know, what's interesting about John 15 is it's sandwiched between two other chapters, John 14 and John 16. Usually works out that way. But the interesting thing about John 14 and 16 is each of them has much to say about the Holy Spirit and his work and activity in our lives. And when we receive Christ's life, 
in us. We receive it through the Holy Spirit. And this is, this is clear throughout the entire New Testament. See, the Bible teaches that apart from Jesus Christ, each and every one of us is spiritually dead. We are eternally spiritually separated from God. We are, we are like a branch that is broken off and not connected to the vine. Romans 3.23 says that the wages of sin is death. Ephesians uh, chapter 2 verse 1 says that without Jesus, we're dead in our transgressions and sins. So uh, apart from Christ, without Christ, without the vine, we are spiritually, eternally separated from God. We're dead. But the scripture says that when we surrender our lives to Christ in faith, okay, we are connected to the vine. We're grafted into the vine. And when that happens, we receive in us this new life in Christ. The spirit that was dead inside of us suddenly becomes alive in Christ. Okay, the Bible talks about, theologians call this spiritual regeneration, okay? And not only that, but the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. He comes to dwell inside of us so that the resurrected life of Jesus is within us. So, the Spirit then dwells in us. He starts his transformation work in us. He convicts us. He teaches us. He empowers us. He gives us joy and he gives us delight. He fixes our eyes and our hearts on hope. And so remaining in the vine ultimately is symbolic. It symbolizes walking with the Spirit. And here's the thing is, is to walk with the Spirit ultimately, ultimately means that you will surrender to the work of the Spirit. This means that you'll follow the Spirit's direction. You'll say, Holy Spirit, guide me, lead me. Show me where to go. Show me the right way. It also means that you surrender to the Holy Spirit's power. You, you come to this place where you say, in and of myself, I do not have the capacity to live this life that I'm supposed to live. I need you, Holy Spirit. I need your power in my life because I just can't do it. That's what it means to walk with the Spirit, to fully depend on Him for life-giving power and to tap into the vine for life itself. And it's something that we do daily. It's something that we do hourly. Friends, this is what it means to remain in the vine. And when we remain in Christ, the promise is that we will bear much fruit. How many of you, I wonder today, would say, I want that. I want my life to bear much fruit. I want to flourish. I want this restoration life that Jesus promises for myself. Well, that's why Jesus says in verse 5, if you remain in me, if you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. So there's life in this vine. But look what else he says in verse 7. It says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. So not only is there life in the vine, there's also power in the vine. See, when we remain in the vine, our prayers become powerful. Our prayers become more effective. James 5.16 says that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. 1 Peter 3.12 says that the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayers. So there is, there is spiritual vitality that comes from the, from the vine, but there's spiritual power that comes from the vine. And perhaps today, I mean, you maybe feel that your prayers are powerless. You might feel that your life is, is empty and hollow. And maybe what you need today is to remain in the vine or to reconnect to the vine and remain in the vine. So here's the third principle. Third principle is, is if you want more fruit, you have to expect pruning. If you want more fruit, you have to expect pruning. Jesus said this of the Father in verse 2. He said, He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. 
See, the Father wants to see our lives flourish. And so in order to maximize his yield, okay, in order to produce much fruit in our lives, he will take matters into his own hands. He will do some, some pruning. And, and of course, for me, this, this makes a lot of sense, right? Because I, I want to see lots of fruit on my trees in my yard, right? Um, I can understand that. Any good gardener worth their salt will want to see their trees flourish. But as it turns out, some of the plants in my backyard aren't producing a lot of fruit. I mean, I've got a, one apple tree that's essentially barren. I don't know what's wrong with it, Okay. Uh, I've got these berry bushes that are kind of gangly and overgrown, okay? Like they got like a b- super bad hair day, and they produce maybe two or three berries, right? And then I've got cherry trees, and they produce pretty good, but I know they could produce a whole lot more, right? Because they're kind of small cherries and a little pathetic, and, and I know I could get a much better yield out of my cherry trees. Every gardener wants to see their plants flourish, but in the same way, God wants to see us flourish. He wants to see our lives flourish, but to get the best out of us, To get the best out of your life so that you're fully flourishing, sometimes it requires pruning. I've been waiting with huge anticipation for this snow to melt in my yard. Like, I've been waiting because I'm ready this year to double my harvest. And I know that if I'm going to double my harvest, I have to prune my trees. I have to prune those bushes. But there's only a couple of windows in the year where pruning is a good idea. And every other time, it's really a bad idea. And one of the times happens to be early spring. Okay? And you have to get through those trees at the right time. Otherwise, you'll harm the trees if you don't prune them in the right season. So I've been waiting for the snow to melt. Every morning, I kind of sneak out and I look at my trees and I pull back the branches. I'm like, are they budding? I hope they're not budding. You know, I don't want them to bud too soon. I'm, I'm, I'm geeking out. I'm, I'm watching like YouTube videos on how to prune trees. I'm reading all sorts of blog posts and articles on the best way to prune trees. I, I mean, yesterday I actually went out with a snow shovel and I started shoveling the snow all around my trees just in case they start budding and I need to get a ladder in there just in time. I went to Canadian Tire yesterday and I bought a whole new set of pruning utensils, okay? Because I thought, well, the old ones are a little bit rusty and a little bit goopy. And this year I want to do it just right, okay? Because at the end of the day, I want my trees to flourish. I'm geeking out about pruning, I know. But I've discovered some things about pruning couple of things. Number one, the first kind of pruning, so there's two kinds of pruning, okay? The first kind of pruning is where you kind of cut back the deadwood. On any given tree or any given bush, there will be some, some branches that are diseased, or they're pretty useless, they're not healthy, they're dying, they're basically taking up space. So you have to cut off the deadwood, Okay? Because essentially, uh, it, you want to protect your tree. You want to help it grow. You don't want the tree wasting a bunch of energy and stuff that's dying and, and dead. So your tree will no longer waste energy, and they can move it towards better parts of the tree. And here's the thing. is about deadwood. Oftentimes, it comes with disease. It comes with insects. It's going to hurt your tree. So you've got to cut off the deadwood. That's the first type of pruning. But the second type of pruning is actually cutting back living tissue. So it's where you actually cut off the healthy and the growing parts of the plant. You prune the ends of branches. You you cut off branches that are pointing out. You get rid of branches that are kind of crossing over each other. And and the thing about this is it seems counterintuitive. Why in the world would you kill off healthy parts of the plant in order to help the plant? 
Well, essentially what you're doing is you're trying to get more nourishment to the fruit. You're trying to get more nourishment to the areas where it really, truly matters. And if you do that, you'll get more fruit and you'll get better fruit. And some of these living parts of the plant are actually robbing the fruit of its nourishment. So if you prune them, you're going to redirect energy towards the fruit. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes a vine dresser will actually go through a vineyard and cut off big clumps of grapes because those clumps of grapes are going to rob other clumps of grapes from growing. And they do it just to get a better harvest out of what's remaining. You know, I I discovered that, as it turns out, you can actually cut off one-third of your tree each year, and it's not going to hurt your tree. That's pruning. God prunes our lives in exactly the same way. On the one hand, God wants to cut back the dead wood in our lives. He wants to get rid of those sins and destructive habits that are choking us or that are unhealthy for us and at the end of the day are probably going to kill us. He hacks off those parts of us that are keeping us from growing and from thriving and from flourishing. But on the other hand, God sometimes removes good things in our lives in order to help us to grow. Like I said, this seems very counterintuitive. That sometimes God will prune good things out of our lives to bring about the best thing for our lives. And the best thing for our lives is ultimately so that we can grow to become more like Jesus. That we can live transformed lives. And that's why in this life you will sometimes experience painful trials or devastating disappointments. Sometimes in this life you're going to feel like you're stretched beyond what you can humanly bear. You feel like you're breaking. And God is pruning us in order to produce more fruit in our lives. Listen, here's the thing. You cannot get to more fruit without pruning. You cannot. Show me a man or woman of God, and I will show you their scars. Think of all the great men and women in the Bible. Every single one of them. Not one of them grew to who they were without trials and difficulties. Every one of them went through trials. Joseph was imprisoned. Sarah was barren. Moses was in the desert. Naomi lost her family. David fled for his life. Jesus was betrayed, rejected, mocked, beaten, scorned, abandoned, and ultimately crucified. You don't get more fruit without pruning. So we shouldn't be surprised by pruning. Now, nobody wants pruning. I mean, nobody likes pruning. Pruning hurts. But just because we're going through pruning doesn't mean that God doesn't care. The scripture is very clear. God prunes those he loves. If you're going through pruning by God, he loves you and he cares a great deal about you. You know, if you read Hebrews 12, it reminds us that we have a father in heaven who disciplines us because he loves us as his own children. So he allows hardship to teach us and to refine us because ultimately at the end of the day, he wants us to grow up. He wants us to mature. Let let me just look at what Hebrews uh, chapter 12 and verse 11 says. Here's what it says. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Friends, God disciplines us. He prunes us. Why? Because he loves us. and Because we're his kids. And it's painful. It's unpleasant. And probably if you're going through pruning right now, that's probably the last thing you want to hear. But the truth is it produces a harvest of righteousness. It produces fruit within us. And I think the question we need to ask ourselves when we're going through pruning is, how will I respond to God's pruning? You see, you can let pruning make you bitter, or you can let pruning make you better. 
And if you let pruning make you bitter, you will draw away from God. You will disconnect from the vine. You'll pull away. But if you allow pruning to make you better, then you will draw near to God. And in difficult times, you will seek him with prayer and in humility. And when you do that, this pruning process transforms you. It refines you. It leads ultimately, as, as the author of Hebrews would say, to a harvest of righteousness. It produces fruit in us. You know, the, the Apostle Paul, he, he talks about this in, in one of his letters, his second letter to the Corinthians. He, he talks about how Jesus was kind of teaching him this truth in his life. You see, Paul, think about Paul. Paul was a pretty capable guy just in and of himself. He was a daunting guy. If you ever met Paul, if Paul ever walked into the room, everybody would turn and, and focus on Paul. He was that kind of a character. He was smart, courageous. He was stubborn. He was intelligent. He was bold. And, and it would have been easy for people to point to Paul in all of his accomplishments and say, hey, look at what he did. What a guy. This is Paul. And it would have been easy for Paul to say, yeah, look what I did. I'm all that, right? To become conceited. And Paul says that in order to keep him from being conceited, Jesus just allowed this weakness to surface in Paul's life. And nobody really knows what it was. Paul described it as a thorn in the flesh. It was this issue that just kind of wouldn't go away. Um, it was like a, a sliver that kind of gets embedded deep into your hand and you can't get it out, but you always know it's there and it's painful and it's worrying. And Paul realized and he discovered that in and of himself, he was powerless over this thing. And so he prayed to Jesus. And he prayed Jesus three times, take it away from me. I don't want it. Take it out of my life. And this was Jesus' response to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12. But he said to me, Paul saying, but Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And that is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul didn't get bitter. Paul got better. And when he experienced difficult times, what did he do? He drew near to Jesus. He remained. He humbled himself. He pressed in. He trusted. Now, what about you this morning? Are, are you being pruned right now? Will you trust the Father's heart? Will you trust the Father that he, that, he is, that he loves you like a dad? That he's for you and he's not against you? Will you move towards him and not away from him in this difficult season you find yourself in? Now, I'm sure that some of you may have been wondering about what we do with what Jesus says in verse 2. And again in verse 6. Because in verse 2 he says that the Father cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. And then in verse 6 he says, If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. And such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. And, and, and i got to admit that these verses uh, can seem a little bit unnerving. Anyone feel that way this morning? Um, because it seems clear that there are consequences to not remaining in the vine. And, and we have to keep in mind that, that destruction and judgment, these are themes in Christ's teachings. We, we find them uh, throughout the Gospels. So since the stakes are high, 
I think it's important that we just pause for a minute and fully understand what Jesus is saying here. Because if we're not careful, I, th- I think we could look at these verses and it can lead to a whole lot of spiritual insecurity. Jesus is not saying that you have to produce enough fruit to keep you from becoming kindling. That's not what he's saying. You do not need to earn your right to salvation. Um, as a matter of fact, that sounds an awful like what we would call works-based righteousness. It goes against otherwise clear teachings of Scripture. And keep in mind, this is a metaphor. It's symbolic. Whereas there are other more concrete passages of Scripture. What we need to understand is that fruit is the byproduct of the life in Christ. It is the evidence that we are remaining in Christ Jesus. So you don't produce fruit in order to remain in the vine. You remain in the vine in order to produce fruit fruit. And you cannot get these backwards. So what Jesus is saying actually should bring us more security. He just happens to be stating it in the negative. If you are connected to the vine, you could have complete security in your salvation. Because ultimately it is Christ who saves us. It is the life of Christ that saves us, not our own human effort. I can give you uh, something that that clarifies this. Paul writes about this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 to 10. He says this. He says, For it's by grace you have been saved. By grace. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. Not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us in advance to do. We are saved. How? How are we saved? We are saved by putting our faith in Christ, not through our good works. That when Jesus died on the cross on our behalf, he died for our sins. And when we put our faith and our trust in him, okay, we are dead to sin. We are alive in Christ. We are not saved on our own efforts, but we are saved by good works through faith. We are saved by good works. However, you notice what it says in verse 10. It also says that we are saved for good works. Paul says in verse 10 that we were created in Christ Jesus to do good works. In other words, we were made to produce fruit. That's why Jesus saved us. That's why he gave us new life. That's why he attached us to the vine, to himself. That's why he gave us himself. In order that at the end of the day, we would produce good works, that we would produce fruit. And if it's true that we are remaining in Christ, there will be fruit in our lives. And so let me ask you today, are you remaining in the vine? Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Have you received him in faith as your Lord and Savior today? And maybe today, you know, you've been at Crosspoint for, for a while or, or somebody brought you, your friend on your arm, and you've heard the truth of the gospel, but you yourself have not yet responded in faith to the gospel. I want to let you know today that Jesus would love to welcome you to become part of the vine, to tap in, to receive his abundant eternal life today through faith, just by surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Let me just talk to all of us today. And let me just ask you this simple question. Where are you at today? Where are you at today? Is your your life dry and empty? Maybe you're here today and you feel like you're running in circles, you're going through the motions. Maybe today you need to reconnect to the vine. Maybe today you need to, to come to him in prayer and humility and to receive him for yourself 
The thing is, you don't have to work your way there. You don't have to earn your way there. You don't have to fight your way there. You just simply have to receive him, to remain in him. The linchpin of remaining in Christ day by day, every single day, is always surrender. That's the linchpin. That's the catalyst. And when we surrender our lives to Christ, when we come to Christ and we say, first of all, Jesus, I cannot do this by myself. I am totally totally wasted. I'm totally weak. I'm totally defeated. I cannot do, them, do this myself. That's amazing. That's exactly where you need to be because Paul would say that Jesus sees that in the weakness. We can delight in your weakness because when you're weak, then you are strong. And it's at that moment of surrender where you say, I cannot do this by myself. And it's also at that point where you surrender and you say, Jesus, not my way, but your way. I want to do what you're asking me to do. I want your Holy Spirit to lead me and to guide me. I surrender the direction of my life and every part of my life to you. Surrender is the catalyst. Surrender is the linchpin for remaining in the vine. And I wonder if today, you know, as you consider your life, as you consider where you're at spiritually, maybe spiritually dry, maybe spiritually powerless, maybe spiritually without direction, as you consider your life today, would you surrender? Because Jesus would love to come in and to radically transform your life and begin his restoration work. The kindest thing you can do is participate with Jesus in his restoration work in your life. I'm going to pray and I'm going to invite the band. Why don't we just bow our heads, close our eyes, and um, just take a moment and turn our attention towards God. He is here. He is near. He is with us and in us. I want to give you a moment before we sing to simply ask two questions. My first question is simply this. The disciples' questions. What is God saying to you this morning? And it should be really, really obvious. What is God saying to you? In the presence of Jesus, what is God saying to you? And the second question is like it. What will you do about it? God, I pray for gracious surrender in all our lives. I pray that surrender would be a delight I pray that you would bring about life and renewal in those today who need it. God, for those who need to surrender their lives to you for the first time, I pray they would be courageous and they would surrender their lives to you and give themselves wholly to you and receive your free gift of salvation today. God, thank you, thank you that you delight with joy in our flourishing and you are for us and not against us. We bless you now in Jesus' name. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. 
Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton, and you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.